open your Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. We'll finish up this series on reasons prayers are not answered. It's pretty profound when you begin to read it and study it, as I'm sure some of you have, that it's very obvious why God does not respond to a lot of people's prayer. Verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And I believe the reason the people faint when it comes to prayer is because they don't see results on their time schedule. You know, they pray about something and it didn't work then. They ask God for a healing and they don't feel any better or for the money for rent or for some need they have and it didn't come in right away and so they tend to get discouraged that's why the rest of the story that jesus told here is about don't give up and don't give in or don't as he said don't faint and some people when they begin to faint they lose interest and you know some people get angry with god You know, they had a need, and God didn't deliver them. And they were taught that God would deliver them. They were taught that God answers prayer. And they heard over and over and over again, what things ever you desire when you pray, believe, you'll receive. And all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believe, and you shall receive. We heard all of that and on and on and on. Well, I prayed. I met those conditions. I've studied those conditions, and I met those conditions. And I confessed what he said, and I've prayed it in Jesus' name, and it didn't work for me. And I know a lot of people that pray, they don't get these answers. And so people have, through times like that, they've come to a place where they either say, what will be, will be. I mean, God will do whatever he wants to do. You can pray if you want to, but he's going to do what he wants to do. And therefore, the best way to end your prayer is, if it be thy will. And that's the hopeless confession and the hopeless mindset that a lot of people have when it comes to prayer. I mean, more than you realize... Maybe to a degree, some of you here, you're disappointed you didn't get an answer, or you're disappointed that it didn't work for you, or you're upset because, well, it's been this long and nothing's better, that nobody got saved, your husband left, your wife left, you lost your job, whatever it was. The question is, why is it that some of these people seem to be so sure of themselves and their testimony is good, they got their prayers answered, whereas some of us, others, many people, it just didn't work. There are many, many, many obvious, logical, reasonable reasons that it doesn't. We've already covered six of them. One was it doesn't work because of sin in your life. A person who lives with the knowledge of sin in their life and doesn't do anything about it, you've just shut the door to God, Isaiah 59, 2. Your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and God that he will not hear. Or as the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, The Lord will not hear me. So it's obvious that a lot of people who disregard the word, we looked at that. They don't really pay attention. They've already heard it, don't really need it. Their life is a betrayal of what they've heard. And they pray and it doesn't work. Well, it's obvious it doesn't work because God holds us to live by his word. When we don't, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. The second reason, of course, is unforgiveness. That's why we talk about people. That's why we're embittered against people. That's why we bear tales about other people. We don't really like people. They did us wrong. They've done something to us, and we'd like to get even or at least tell, tell others how bad somebody was. And that's an indicator of unforgiveness in your life. And Jesus plainly said, like the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors which means if we don't forgive them, you don't have to forgive us. Matthew 18, if you will not from your heart forgive whoever has trespassed you, if you will not from your heart forgive them, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. And I believe there's a lot of people who have bad feelings and attitudes against and about other people. It's easy to do. It's one of the great weaknesses of mankind is just to be mad at somebody. And want to hurt somebody, get even with somebody, vent your feelings against somebody. And when you do that, the devil has seized from you that place you have with God in prayer. Because if you will not forgive others, he will not forgive you. You think about that long enough, it gets real serious. If he doesn't forgive you, then your sins are not yet gone. 
Now, there's a lot of theology in there, and I'm going to get away from that. Third thing is you need to pray. You must pray in Jesus' name. I've heard many wonderful prayers at big meetings and political rallies in which the name of Jesus might be offensive, so they make this prayer in thy name. And Jesus said in John 14 and 15 and 16, he said to pray in Jesus' name. That's what we do, in Jesus' name. That's the one name that is above all names. He is the one mediator between God and man. Our approach to God is through Christ. He is the one. So we pray in his name. Fourthly, people don't get answers to prayer because they do not pray according to God's will. Actually, I don't know how many church folks, church members are even aware of the will of God before they pray. They just believe, as the bumper sticker said, prayer changes things. And if they pray, if they pray enough and long enough and hard enough, then it'll happen without regard to whether or not it's God's will. They don't know if it's God's will to heal. It is, but they don't know that. They've heard that. They're not sure of that. And their prayer is an attempt to get God to heal, to try to motivate him, remove him because of all your sincerity to heal you. It doesn't work that way. Because the fifth thing is faith. People who pray don't get answers to prayer, be prayed without expecting an answer. Jesus said, when you pray, believe you have received and you shall have it. Last week, we looked at hypocrisy, sixthly. I want you to go back to Second Peter chapter 2. Hypocrisy is so rampant today in so many people's lives. When we want people to think about us better than they should, we try to act sincere when we're really not. We try to act caring when we really don't. The preacher tries to act real compassionate when he's not. Sometimes his motivation is to gain your admiration. Therefore, you will support him, give more money, make him a bigger whatever. We write a book and we give a commercial about the book. And boy, this is, and you need to hear this. And this book will do this. When you don't really believe that yourself. It's just hypocritical. Politicians, we know the politicians are hypocritical. A lot of preachers are hypocritical. You get in these pulpits like this, and you begin to think, now these people expect more than what I am. So you begin to put on this little act or this little show, and you try to convince people that you're really, that's many times just another form of hypocrisy. Now, God knows the thoughts and the intentions of your heart, me or you. He knows the motivations of our heart, what's behind what we're doing and saying, whether it's genuine or whether it's put on and whether you have an ulterior motive in what you're doing. Second Peter chapter 2, and beginning in verse 1, as there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious or destructive ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words, insincere words, make merchandise of you because that is generally the motivation behind hypocrisy, to gain something from you. And in this case, it would be probably money. And in other cases, it's gain your admiration to get a vote if you're a politician. So there are just six things tonight that we've already covered that are easily discerned. And this is why prayers aren't answered. This is why a lot of people have a hopeless confession about prayer. Well, I've tried that and it doesn't work. Or I don't know. It's, I just don't get into it anymore. In fact... Because you haven't had much success in getting answers to your prayer, a lot of people have quit praying. It would be very embarrassing if we had to stand up at the first of every month if God told the whole church, this is how long this person prayed last month. And I believe one of the reasons that people don't pray is because they've had no success in prayer, and they have, as Jesus said, they have faded. They've drawn back. they become wearied. I know we should, but, you know, I don't. Because if you knew when you prayed that God would hear you and you'd get an answer, you'd pray a lot. Because that's the one thing that supersedes conditions, circumstances, times, or ages. Doesn't matter what's going on, it's God who can fix it. If you believe that, 
but so seldom have we had that testimony, and it's the truth. If I said, how long have you prayed this month? Have you prayed five minutes? Have you prayed three minutes this month? Have you prayed an hour? Have you prayed at all? Or do we just take for granted, well, you know. So it is a sincere subject. It's a serious subject. It's one of those foundational things that any pastor or teacher has to teach on because everybody ought to do it. There's reasons why we don't. Now, tonight, in finishing, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. In conclusion, in conclusion, family relationships are out of order. Family relationships are out of order. When a husband and a wife are in divine order, when their lives are structured, motivated, and put into action according to the Word of God, we call that divine order. She knows what God wants her to do as a woman, as a wife. He knows what God wants him to do as a man and as a husband. And that's where their efforts are. And when they don't do that, they repent. This is one of the things that brings grace to a home making it a gracious place. Peace usually abides there because it, it functions by divine authority or under divine oversight. And it does that not by force, but by consent. We willingly want God to rule in our lives, in our families, in our marriage, in our relationships. We want him to be in charge of us and we submit ourselves to him to that goal. And when children come along, that we teach them is all the things the Bible says about that. Because when we bring our family into this place, I want to bring at least a measure of unity to it. Now, if my home is out of order, and this is an hour which there's so much of this that it's almost common thinking today, if she has become independent and indifferent to her role as a woman, if he doesn't do what he is supposed to do with regard to his wife and his home, the home is out of order. When you bring that particular unit into the church, it is dysfunctional. It's out of order. It hinders the flow of the Spirit. And especially when it comes to prayer. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them. It would be your wives. This is for married folks. And a whole bunch of you are wishing you were, so hang on, all right? Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, if I ask you the question tonight, can a marriage situation be such that the prayers in that marriage are hindered, at least by the man? Can a man disregard his role in marriage and create an unanswered prayer situation? Well, let me read it again in case you didn't get it. He said at the end of verse 7, that your prayers be not hindered. Can your prayers be hindered? He's talking specifically now to you husbands. It is your fault in this one verse. It is your fault when prayers are hindered if you are disregarding your role and relationship on biblical terms with your wife. Because if you're not being what God says you should be, doing it the way God says you should do it, then when you pray, you might as well get somebody to pray for you because in your case, it won't work. And I think a lot of people have so experienced nothing in prayer that men don't pray much anymore. Heads of houses seldom pray. Three minutes a month? How many? Five minutes a month? And yet, talks here as though prayers should be a common part of a man's life as a father or a husband. And yet, your prayers are hindered if your relationship with your wife isn't the way it should be. So whether or not you have the ear of God depends on how you're treating your wife. Now, young men, all you young men are single. Now, before you get married, Think about not getting married. <laughs> if you don't want to live on God's terms, you're going to bring chaos into somebody's life and into this church. 
If you want to be a godly man, live on godly terms. If you want your life and your home to be a gracious, peaceful place, if you want your relationship with your wife to be as proper as God would have it to be and, and a wonderful experience, then you got a way to do it because God shows you. If you don't want to do that, please don't marry. And you girls, if you don't want to live as a godly woman should live, I pray you won't get married. You just stay cute and single the rest of your life. I have seen, as you have, I've seen too many marriages fall apart. Half of Christian marriages, half of them, two out of four, marriages by church folks end up in divorce. Because he said, she said, and you're not going to tell me that. Well, I did. Well, I'll tell you one thing, and here it goes. They act or live as though they never heard anything in the gospel. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they never encountered a few questions in counseling about marriage. Because it is a very serious thing. When you think of the fact that you alone, by yourself, as an act of your will, a moral and ethical decision to do something you should not do, you bring disorder into your home. And when you bring your home into this meeting, you're bringing disorder to this meeting. Somebody help me. That's the truth. These are solemn words, and they should be solemn words, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, here's what the Bible says, and obviously we can't cover this tonight, but let me just highlight it because I want to go on. The Bible says a man, in Ephesians 5, is to love his wife like Christ loved his church. And remember all those verses in the Bible where Jesus, speaking of his church, how he fussed at her and hollered at her? No, he didn't do that called her names. What kind of a dumb church are you all? Never did that, did he? So if you're going to love your wife, now love in its deepest expression is commitment. You can have bad days and ugly days and be offended on many days, but that you can still be committed because that's a choice you make. Love is a choice, just like hate is a choice. And when your love is based on the fact that I commit myself to this woman or to this man, as they say in traditional churches, for better or for worse, no matter what, I am committing myself to you because I believe this is God. And I promise you that when you get married, you'll have a chance to think about that. But God will never let it be so bad that you cannot, by trusting him and his word, fix it. But... Men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. You'll have to study that. If, if you want to be a wise man and do it God's way, you're going to have to do some study. You can't take any of this for granted. You can't make up stories about how you think Jesus loved the church because he's told you how he loves the church. You need to read it. You need to study because God will hold us to that. I mean, God forbid that one day one of our family members needs our prayer in a time of, oh, no. And your prayers don't work because you don't pay attention to what God said. What's that verse in Proverbs? He that turneth away his ears from the truth, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Whew. Second thing about this, men, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, talking about a bishop, one who wants to be a leader, must be blameless, a husband of one wife at a time, Vigilant. Okay. The bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Verse 4, one that ruleth well his neighbor's house. Now, here's what it says. I didn't write this. One that ruleth well his own house. Ruleth is a word, prohistimai, a little Greek word, a funny sounding Greek word, which means to oversee to superintend, to watch over. That's his job. Your house is your responsibility. Your wife may take care of the house, but it's your responsibility as a man to make sure that that happens. And verse 5, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? The home is a picture of the church. Christ loved the church. And we're talking about a mystery here in Ephesians 5 of Christ and his church. He's the head. That's his body. That's his bride. 
She responds to him because she loves him. He cares for her and takes care of her. That's the way it should be. We call that divine order too. And also about men, in Genesis chapter 18, you don't have to turn to this in verse 19, God said this about Abraham. When God chose Abraham, he said, I have chosen him because I know that he will command his children to obey my word. And he ends the 19th verse of Genesis 18 by saying, and I will bless him. In other words, the condition for God's favor coming into a home, at least in one verse, is dependent upon a man being the head of his house, rightly representing his family to God as a teacher and as a leader and bringing his family as a high priest of that home to the Lord and praise over them. This is his little group right here, and this is what he wants to be servants of God. He wants his children to be citizens of God's kingdom. And so this is his role. He enters into marriage knowing that when I get married, chances are there'll be children come into my life. They're all gifts. And I have a grave responsibility to make godly seed out of them. Now, I can't, but God shows me what I do, and he will make them to be godly. But he holds me to live in, in a way that would make this happen. I have this responsibility. And most men have not even a clue about this, but they don't care. There are men who never balance their checkbooks, who never write their own checks, who never pay the bills. They give it to her to do it. They give all of these responsibilities to the wife. It's not her responsibility. It's yours. And she's not the one you should blame when she doesn't do it because she's not supposed to do it. You are. Now, sometimes I'll give you this. She wants to do it. And the more she does it, the more independent she gets in a marriage and the more you lose the emphasis of the Bible in your life and thus you lose the grace of answered prayer. We are so used to getting by. I'm talking about folks in the church. Charismatics are so used to just getting by with some, hopefully some emotional movement will take place and we'll get in and have, oh, this is God. And when it's over, they're back to the same old lethargic, dull, listless state that we're in. And it's not like there's any joy about seeking God. God will take care of this. They just let it go. Live with it. Men, men, M-E-N, men, leaders, preachers, let it go. Because they're not doing the kind of job they're supposed to be doing. We read our text, 1 Peter chapter 3. Listen what a very renowned Greek scholar in his book, Mr. Woost, what he said, his commentary about our verse, about verse 7. He said, the word knowledge here refers to an intelligent recognition of the marriage relation. That's why you have a degree of counseling before you marry. Because most young men don't have a clue, and most young women don't have a clue. They're really not interested. All they know is feelings. But he said, the word knowledge here refers to an intelligent recognition of the marriage relation. The word honor is a translation of the same Greek word in chapter 1, verse 19, which is translated precious. Christian husbands are to deem the helpmeets which God has given them as precious and are to treat them with honor. And the word giving is a rendering of a Greek word which means to assign to or to portion off. Now, the wife is beginning to be more important than you thought she was. She is a whole part, men, of a man's relationship to God is seen in whether or not he properly relates to his wife. There are certain attitudes he ought to have about her. Mr. Woost goes on to say this. This is good. He said, the husband is to dwell with the wife, remembering that she is an instrument of God as well as a husband, a child of God, to be used by him to his glory. The husband must ever keep in his mind that she is the weaker instrument of the two, not morally or intellectually, but physically. This attitude towards the wife on the part of the husband, therefore, includes loving consideration of the wife in view of the fact that she is not physically as strong as he is, and Christian husbands today would do well to heed this admonition. The husband is to pay honor to her so that their prayers be not hindered. There's some things a man wouldn't want his wife to be doing. There's some things a man ought to do, things that are more physically involved or requiring more strength and stuff. Man's job. A lot of outside-the-house jobs are men. A lot of women like to mow grass. That's fine. Riding lawnmowers are great. But anyway, 
There are just some things that she doesn't mind. Talk to her. Guess what relationships are. I don't mind doing that. Fine. And then I want you to pick up all these big boxes and stack them somewhere and do this and do that. Well, that's a man's job. And a man should care about his wife and recognize the fact that, you know, I want to take care of her. The Bible says, he that findeth a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And I really want her to appreciate the fact that she's married a good man because I believe I've married a good woman. I don't believe God gives bad gifts. And so I want to do my job to take care of this because I really, really, I want God to bless me individually, which translates into able to bless my home because of me or my grandchildren. Just want to be in right relationship with the Lord. Well, a whole lot depends on how I relate to my wife. God holds us to that. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11. Let's get real quiet for a minute. 1 Corinthians 11, about order, divine order, headship. How many of you young folks know that when you marry, your relationship to God is now not only with God, but with a man? And if it's not right with that man, it's not right with God, and vice versa, men with their wives. 1 Corinthians 11 speaks about headship or order. He simply begins by saying in verse 3, I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, does it say that the husband is the head of the wife? That's what it says, that the husband is the head of the wife. And being the head of the wife, there is a way that this chapter describes how she shows an intelligent recognition of my role as a wife, and they call it the head covering. And the head covering was simply a sign that attests to a truth that you embrace. It is a sign that by this head covering that I recognize that as a wife, I am in 1 Peter 3, 1, I'm to be in subjection to my husband. That's what 1 Peter 3, 1 says. Wives be in subjection to your own husbands. Recognizing that word subjection also means submission, to submit. And I'm not only willing to do that because I entered this marriage knowing that that's what God wants a woman to be in the marriage relationship. She's not inferior to her husband. I mean, she's not less than he is as an individual, obviously. A lot of men are doing well because they have a good woman behind them. And it's a credit to any valid ministry in this hour when you can look at that valid minister's wife and see a smile on her face. I've known men whose wives were not very happy. And it's none of my business, but I recognize the fact that something behind their closed doors is not as it should be because she wears her feelings on her face. And then you go out to eat with some of these people, the way he talks to her and the way he addresses her or ignores her is obvious that that there's really something wrong with this marriage. And I think, why did you ever marry? Why did you two ever get married? I remember after a meeting one night in Indianapolis, I'll get back to this in just a moment, years ago, years ago, I was way too young and too green to be doing this, but this man and woman had been coming to the meeting up in Indianapolis, and they said, could we talk with you after the meeting tonight somewhere to eat? My wife and I would like you to talk to us about something. I said, sure. Boy, I was so naive. I don't know if I'd do that anymore. I wouldn't say sure. We went out to eat and ordered some food and sat down there waiting, and boy, they got into it, and I think, somebody better call 911 here. <laughs> and this lady was so embarrassed and humiliated. He was talking at her, and I finally said, Brother, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. It's not the place to start talking like that. I thought we were going to have a friendly chat here about something, and I said, man, your marriage is in bad trouble. You two don't even like each other. I hope you got two bedrooms in your house because I know they're both being used. Y'all have a real problem here. I finally had to say, I can't do anything about this. This has been going on so long. It's been allowed to seethe for so long that you're both set. She is defiant. She wouldn't, I don't care what he says. He means nothing to me because he's a phony. And then they got into another subject and I thought, oh, brother, I'm, I'm out. Get it out of here. I'm out. And I think, what church do you go to? How could you let it go this long like that? But they do. Here's two people that don't even like each other. At one time, they married with that Google-eyed look. Oh. 
And then here, just a few years later, the kids are grown. You know, a man and his wife don't love each other. When the kids are growing up, she can put all of her time with her daughter, or he can spend all his time with his son because you don't have to deal with your wife. But when they're married and gone, and it's back to you and her, wow. I mean, I hate to think of what my home would be like if my wife and I didn't like each other. I just hate to think. Our kids are gone and say, what's it going to be like just you and Tom again? And just Be good. We like each other. As long as she minds, everything is fine. <laughs> but he said in 1 Corinthians 11, a wife is willing to wear a head covering. It's a sign. It's a sign that she submits to her husband. Now, I've seen a lot of women through the years, and I want to yank that thing off her head. I said, you're lying. Wouldn't that be true? I mean, there are a lot of cases where she doesn't submit to him. She wears that because she's, she's supposed to. She wants everybody to think that she's all right, but she's not. And I tell you, marriages can make your life as miserable. I remember a man told me one time he and his wife were having a real blowout. They were about to part ways. He started seeing another woman, and she found out about it, and he was so miserable. He said, you know, I was making a lot of money. I had a nice home, plenty of everything. He said, I was as unhappy as I could be. I was seeing some nice-looking lady, but he said, every time I'd come home, I was aware of the kind of man I was and what I was doing to my wife and didn't know how to stop it. And he put a gun to his head one time and put the thing to his head, and the phone rang. And you know this, how the story like that has to end. He went to a meeting that night with another man and got saved. But I don't care how fancy your life is and how big your dreams are and how clever and how socially adept you are at things. If you're a married man or a woman and you're not happy at home, you're not happy, period. You're not happy, period. And you probably wish you could get out of all this kind of stuff. Look at Titus 2, Titus chapter 2 and verse 5. Wives, this is what he says. Teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands. You'd think, well, they would anyway, wouldn't they? Well, now, some of these marriages were arranged. You know the story, how parents arranged marriage. You didn't always get what you thought you wanted. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. There's a reason that God puts that word in there. Teach the young women that your role in making your home heaven on earth is to view your husband as the head of your house. Honor that. Submit to him. Be in subject to him. Treat him as the head of his house, with honor, dignity, and respect. You took a bow, and you said you would. I've got copies of them in there. You said, I will honor you and follow you and cherish you and all that and love you all the days of our life. You said that. Now, let's live it. And obedient doesn't mean that you're going to be made a slave, that you're just going to be, oh, no. A loving man doesn't treat a woman that way. But if a man is not yet saved, well, go back to 1 Peter 3 again. If a man is not yet saved, isn't there a chance he's going to abuse you and take advantage of your submission? Well, depends on how much you're willing to trust the Lord. Depends on how much you're going to call upon the Lord as you honor his word to keep bad things from happening to you. How many of you know that a woman submits to her husband not because he deserves it? Not because he's earned it. She submits to him because it's the will of God. Whether he is on a high note or a low note. Whether he's good today or bad today. Your submission and honor of him is not because he has earned what you've got. But it's as unto the Lord who always deserves it. First Peter 3 again, he said, if any of you wives have a husband 
Be in subjection to your own husband that if any obey not the word, and I'm sure a lot of wives have men like that. They hear it, but they don't do it. They do what they want to do and have their own reasons for doing it. But if you have a husband that does not obey the word, here's a promise. They also, without the word, be won by the behavior of the wives, the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with reverence, fear, who's adorning, let it be that racy little thing out of the catalog. No, no, I'm sorry, verse 3. Who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. Now, people who preach against gold and apparel has to preach against clothes, too. I'm just saying it. You shouldn't wear jewelry. You shouldn't pleat your hair. Well, then you shouldn't wear apparel either. That'd be good. <laughs> of wearing apparel of gold or of putting on apparel. It's not the outside. Verse Four, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. That's what God wants to see in a godly woman who brings grace to a home and a marriage, whether he does or not. She does, and therefore she brings God's favor into that home. And he goes on to say, For after this manner also in old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection, same word, verse 1, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughter you are. Now notice, here's the condition, whose daughter you are, as long as you do well. Did your Bible say that? I don't know how many people ever read that or read this verse and read that. But it says, whose daughters you are if you do well. If, as you do well. As long as you do well. And are not afraid with any amazement. And he says, then likewise, you husbands. Be in subjection. The word submission is not a bad word. Subjection, submission, it's not an ugly word. It's a military word. Actually, it, it means to rank under. A sergeant is never inferior to a, a major. He's probably just as strong, just as smart, maybe more so in both areas. But he is what he is, and that other is what he is. And a woman may be a whole lot smarter than her husband. He may be a whole lot smarter than her. It doesn't matter. The role is and the rank is that she is to submit to him and just like in James chapter 4, verse 7, you know, submit yourselves unto God. That's not bad, is it? Submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Well, so you got to submit to God. So there's this element of recognition of authority and headship and a willingness to find your place in the scheme of this and not only live there, but function there. Do it well. I'm going to submit. You might as well not submit because your mind's bad. Your whole reasons for submitting is bad. Submission of a woman to a man to be his wife, to be his helpmate, to be a keeper at home, and to mother his children is a God-given role. And he needs that because those aren't things that he does well. He, one of them, he can't do at all, bear children. <laughs> but there are things that he needs from his wife. He needs for her to be all these things to him. And he would need a godly woman who really cares not so much about how foxy she looks if she gets up in the morning, hi, hon, but a woman with a, a bit of discreetness. She knows how to act. She knows how to handle herself. She's not, as the Old Testament calls, an odious, hard-headed, difficult woman. She seeks to do this man good all the days of her life. Because he deserves it? No. Because he's earned it? No. Because it's how she shows God how much she loves him. Isn't that something? She loves the Lord enough to do that to this man set before me. Because first of all, she told God she would marry him. And now that she's married to him, she treats him as God Almighty tells her to do it. And she'll be rewarded for this. And she's not going to get hurt doing this. Nothing bad's going to happen to her when she's doing this because God is on her side. This order brings confusion in a home. I turn the book of Proverbs so we can start hurting people. 
Proverbs. And while you're going to Proverbs, let me finish something here. A young woman is to be discreet, chaste, a keeper at home. What does keeper at home mean? That means she hugs the wall. I'm keeping my house. No. You know what a keeper at home is? Your home is your testimony. Woman, women, your home is your testimony. It may not be the best house on the block. It may not be a very expensive place. It may be some rental property that is old, but it's where you live. You'll show there your testimony. It'll be the evidence of how you feel about your role as a homemaker and a homekeeper. How you go about your daily routines, cooking, fixing, mending, cleaning, cooking, polishing, finding things, cooking. I saw a little cartoon one time. This guy was just got married and stepping over the threshold and showed her in the house and saw the living room and said, oh, what beautiful furniture. This is such a lovely room and so comfortable looking. He said, yes, ma'am. Then they walked into the kitchen and she said, oh, what a cute room. What's this room for? <laughs> I know this, that a man can be made real happy with somebody that tries real hard to feed him his favorite food and cook for him. Amen. Well, I don't like to cook. Well, I'm sure you don't. <laughs> but if you try, that man will reward you. He knows how hard you're trying. He knows. Remember, we're talking about your prayers getting answered and the reason your prayers aren't answered the hindrances at how God says no to a certain situation because you're not even trying to do what you're supposed to do. You're all just living by your feelings. No. No blessing, no open doors, no grace, nothing. It's right here in this book. Are you in Proverbs yet? Let's start at the back. Proverbs 30. Here's a word that defines a woman as being unwilling Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'll tell you one thing. Boy, don't get married. Please don't marry if you've got an attitude like that. Please don't. You're going to make some young man so miserable. Oh, one day he'll wish he had never seen you before. And it shouldn't be like that. Verse 23, there are certain things here that Proverbs talks about that are not good. And one of the things that he describes here that is not good is an odious woman when she is married, an odious woman when she is married. You know why? Because she is an unwilling woman. What she does is what she thinks she ought to do, not what God wants her to do. And if she doesn't like something, she won't do it. If she doesn't want to go somewhere, she won't do it. If she doesn't want to submit to her husband, and a lot of women don't, she won't do it. And one of the things that he speaks of here in verse 23 he says this is things that disquiet the earth. Verse 23 is an odious woman when she is married. Because the word of God will not work in her life. Thus, it will not work in her home. Thus, it will not work in her marriage. And it probably won't work in her children because what she'll raise up will be just like her. Amen. When our kids go out of the house, folks, listen, all of us here, when our children go out of our house, they are a reflection of their parents. Chapter 27 and verse 15. A continual dropping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. What's a contentious woman? Argumentative. Always pointing out your faults. Let me tell you something. When I married her, I did not marry my mother. I do not need her to tell me when to get up and where to go and I should do this and do that because I'm afraid with my background. If she said, well, you ought to do this, I'd probably sit there the rest of the day in an equally wrong defiance. And it's not like, you know, a man should let a woman tell her what to do. There's time we all make suggestions to each other. We talk to each other about things. But a man should be respected by his wife as the head of his house. And one thing he does not need is a contentious woman, because that'd be like that dripping rain 
You ever been in a house that leaked? Roof leak? Drip, drip, drip. It's not very loud. Drip, drip. And it happens quite often, you know, drip, drip, drip. But it keeps on, just won't stop. And finally it gets to you. How about chapter 21 and verse 19? It would be better to dwell in the hotel down in Knoxville. No. It would be better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. How many times in public, all of us, any of us and all of us, have we heard the loudest voices in a store come from a woman? Or the ones who blow the horn the loudest and wag that tongue the loudest in public are women. Why? What's happened? Whatever happened to womanliness of women? Are they trying to act like men? Whew. I'm glad my wife's not a man. I'm glad she doesn't act like one. Look at chapter 12. A virtuous woman. A virtuous woman. Here's what you want, young men, all you young fellows in here. This is what you want. Underline this. And if you ever see a girl you think might be the one, point this at her and say, are you or not? Are you she or should I search for another? How many of you young men are here at least 18 years old? 18 to 25. Y'all better pay attention to me. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 4. You underline this right here or you draw a circle around it. And when you find her, when she comes into your life and you're all captured Say, is this you or shall I keep searching? And if she can't pronounce virtuous, keep looking. <laughs> I know she can't spell it. Most of us can, but if she can't pronounce it, keep going. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. He wished he had never married her. That's why a lot of men don't go home. They don't want to go home and keep listening to all this racket. Something really started out wrong in a marriage. People I've counseled the last few years, as far as I know, I've said this to all of them, that when you get married, when you leave the building, go to your honeymoon site, wherever that is, wherever you two are going to be finally alone behind closed doors, the first thing you do is pray. Hold hands and ask God to bless your union and to make you one. And every night, if you will, every night before you go to sleep, pray for each other. If you do it every night, you get the place where you look forward to it, and you'll start seeing it work in your family. Kids today are gone crazy in this world. This is the most out-of-whack generation I have imagined. I've only been in one. It's weird and wild. They can't talk. They can't carry on a conversation. They have no restraints. They throw trash out the windows when they're driving down the road. Oh, my motor really cranks. The other day, kids you know, ran the corner and threw a, like a McDonald's sack out in the street. And I thought, oh, shoot the tires out of that car. <laughs> they probably do something like that at home because somebody raised them like that. I think that's a shame. But God said, if you forget his word, he'll forget your children. Didn't he? You forget his word, I'll forget your children. And that's right now while we're talking. Finally, Deuteronomy 11. If the home is unhappy, folks, the children are unhappy, nothing is working right in the family, in the relationship, and spiritual confusion prevails. And by spiritual confusion, I mean, what is going on? Why is this? What's, it's just like we have no answers, no solutions. God is a word. Church is a place. Faith just doesn't mean anything. And would you go over to Deuteronomy 11? This is the way it can be, and I believe this is the way it should be. You read it, you follow me, and then you make your own decision about this. Verse 18. Listen, this is for all of us. Therefore, you shall lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be a frontlet between your eyes. Keep it ever before you, in other words. And you shall teach them your children 
speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thy house and upon thy gates. In other words, focus on the instruction that God gives us, how we should live, how we should act, and this is what will happen. This is what will happen. Verse 21, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon earth. Would you like to have heaven on earth? I know the Hebrew probably means as long as the heaven remains above the earth. But let's use our translation. Heaven on earth. Having your home blessed by God. Having your children protected and blessed by the Lord because of your faithfulness to God. Having a union and a relationship with your wife, which is a living testimony, not only to your children that this message they're hearing from you works because it works for you. It works for you. It works for mom. It works for dad. And then when you go to the church, people cannot find fault with you. They look at you and they say, now that's the way it ought to be. We should never have to wonder why it doesn't work for us. It's a choice. It's a choice. We've been sitting in meetings like this for 30, 40 years. I've been preaching now for 40 years. Some of you have been Christians for a long, long time. We should not be pondering why this isn't working. We should not be struggling with simple things that were taught us 20 years ago. We should not be like those who need milk instead of strong meat because we quit discerning and quit trying to think things through and get after ourselves and go before God and make some decisions and turn around and shape up. We shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't just let things slide, but they do slide. And sometimes the testimony is not good. It really isn't, but it can be, and it should be. Because you see, what we're after is this. If the home is not functioning the way it should be or not that effort is being made for it to, the adjustments are taking place, then you really cannot expect God to respond to your prayers. Now, a wife may be trying. That's a different story. But men, he said, if you don't view your wife as who she is and what she is and the value you should attach to her and honor her as a vessel that God gave you as a gift and you need her and she'll make your life really better than it could have been without her, you need to take care of her. Because if you don't, your prayers, God will hold you accountable for how you treat her because he wants you to treat your wife the way he treats his church. Amen. Close your Bibles. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Minister it to us so that we get it right and not wrong. To rightly divide this word and give us the courage to be right. Not only to know the right, but to live it. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.